Today's reading is taken from Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 12. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have you ever felt on the edge of something exclusive? Somewhere you've had to look right, dress right, speak right, act right to fit in? A shop, a club, a workplace. My family and I had our first weekend away since lockdown last weekend and just walking down the high street, I felt a bit out of place, a bit on the edge. I didn't have the designer brands or the cool sunglasses that everyone else had. Sometimes even church gatherings can feel a bit exclusive and I'm sorry if that's ever been your experience. Back in 2013, I thought I'd found a church that might be like that. They, uh, they knew how to dress smart. They put most of us, even at St. Michael's, to shame for getting out the Sunday vest. The first Sunday I went, there was a guy who got on the bus wearing a tuxedo on the way to church. I thought, I bet he's, I bet he's going to church dressed like that. Sure enough, he was, and uh, he was less out of place than I was just in my regular casual gear. Well, a few weeks later, I was prepared to receive some disapproving looks. You see, the day before, the Saturday, I'd cycled in the, the heat to uh, a neighbouring city and the following day I was coming back. Um, we'd planned to take the train but we didn't have bike boxes so we couldn't get the train. So we pleaded with the bus driver, he let us stow our bikes and uh, get the bus. I'd given up all hope of getting to church. But I realised as we rolled into the city that the bus station was just around the corner from the church and it wasn't yet two o'clock. But I had a conundrum, do I? go home, clean up, come back, dressed for church but too late? Or do I go for it in my, in my sweaty vest and my lycra cycling shorts and face the consequences? Well, I decided to go to church um, and to see what happened. I wonder if you've ever had an experience like that where you felt like you've not quite been dressed right or looked right or whether you felt a bit excluded. Good morning and welcome 
to St. Michael's online service. We're going to be thinking a bit about those things in the next few minutes. It's my pleasure to be with you. Um, my name's Sam. I was on the team at St. Mark's for three years um, and I left in 2018 to train for ordination. And it's great to be with you all the way from the north where I've been uh, doing lockdown with my family. This week we begin a new sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. And this most beautiful and influential of sermons can be found in Matthew chapters 5 to 7. So do grab a Bible if you'd like to follow along. We're in the first 12 verses of Matthew 5. Let me pray as we begin. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to gather together in your name around your Son and by your Spirit. As we hear from your word, please would my words be pleasing to you and our hearts open to what you want to say to us. In Jesus' name, Amen. I don't know about you, but the Beatitudes appear a bit of an enigma to me. I'm drawn to their beauty, but in the past I've not necessarily been sure what to make of them. Are they ideals to aspire to? Or is there something else going on? Well, let's start with the name. Beatitudes comes from the Latin for blessed, beatus. The first line of each of Jesus' eight or nine statements, blessed, 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 blessed. And in the original Greek, that's makarios, translated blessed or happy, referring to the highest possible state of human well-being. It means to be at peace with God, to be well in the fullest sense imaginable, to be free from all ailments and all fear, bad backs, bad knees, migraines and mental ill health, COVID and cancer. How we long to be free of those things. Have a look at hashtag blessed on Instagram and you'll see beautiful photos of beautiful people enjoying beautiful moments. Blessed is how we describe being given good gifts from God. In grappling with this passage over the last couple of weeks, I found Dallas Willard's The Divine Conspiracy and Bonhoeffer's The Cost of Discipleship helpful and challenging. Willard makes the point that whatever Jesus is saying, it cannot be an exhortation to another form of legalism. That is, Jesus is not saying that the way to find God's blessing is through our own efforts. Jesus isn't giving us a, a list of standards to attain to, to attain. That would flat out contradict the rest of his message. He isn't just calling out some mysterious cosmic formula that we couldn't see. He is the formula. And I found this really helpful because when I've read the passage before, I've often thought Jesus is saying that these people are blessed and that if I want to be blessed, then I need to do or be those things. If these are the only people who are blessed, I either despair that I'm not on the list or I strive to be on it, to be poor in spirit or to mourn, to even be persecuted because of Jesus. Willard says, not so. To help us try and hear Jesus teaching afresh, let's enter into the scene. 
rather than observing as spectators, let's be those disciples addressed by Jesus on the, on the Mount of Beatitudes. You don't need to close your eyes, but if you'd find that helpful, feel free. You're one of the crowd, or you were. A crowd like those good old days when you could gather in thousands at Trafalgar Square, or at a music concert, a sporting event, or a protest without a second thought. There's lots of chitter-chatter. You're bumping into old friends here and there. Everyone's excited about this young, new rabbi, Jesus. You've lost sight of him in the hordes, but as you scan the crowd, you see a figure on the far side beginning to head up and out of and away from the lakeside crowd. That must be him. To your surprise, you find yourself having to push and squeeze your way through the masses. It strikes you as odd that not everyone has noticed Jesus' movement. But focusing on catching up yourself, you forget the irony and crack on. You've heard Jesus call, follow me. You said, yes, Lord, and that's what you intend to do. You've reached the edge of the crowd now. You can see Jesus ahead, approaching the brow of this small hill and a bunch of ragtag followers trailing behind him. As you step out past the last of the crowd, it occurs to you that this is a decisive moment. All of a sudden, you're exposed. There was something comforting about being in the throng of the crowd, but now you're leaving that for the no man's land of walking up the hill alone. Only the promise of fellowship with this rabbi pulls you on and up. If anyone in the crowd was looking, they'd see you pause for a moment, look around and then stride determinedly up the hill. Jesus said, follow me. And that's what you intend to do. Slightly out of breath, you reach the top a minute later. Jesus is sitting down and the others are sitting around him, eager to hear what he has to say. You recognise a few that have been travelling with him. The big names, Peter, James and maybe that's John. You'll preach have to be up there with them, with him. You find yourself a patch of grass and sit down. The sound of waves lapping the shore below is woven into the murmur of the crowd. Jesus looks back at them. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the more, those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then he looks back at us, back at me. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they treated the prophets who were before you. It was almost as though Jesus were pointing at groups within the crowd, your mind going to friends and family members he was describing. Friends who are poor in spirit, who lack confidence, poverty-stricken on that most basic level. Parents mourning son, sons lost to suicide. 
children mourning parents lost to cancer. Your meek sibling who never complains, never stands up for his rights but quietly accepts all that comes his way. Friends particularly longing for righteousness, not content until they see the social wrongs put right. The ones who are pure in heart, for whom nothing on earth is good enough, always aiming for perfection. Those who show mercy, who refrain from carrying out judgment as they're entitled. Your peacemaking friend, who's always caught between two warring factions seeking to bring reconciliation, but never really appreciated or trusted by either. Your friend who's persecuted for standing up for and sticking his neck out for what she believes in. Her neck out for what she believes in. Jesus has called out these people, all on the edges of the crowd, all having a hard time, all shunned to some extent, and declared that they are blessed. What does he mean? He said that each group will be rewarded in line with the life they've lived. Interesting, they're all future-based. They will inherit, will be comforted, will see, will be called. But Jesus doesn't say they will be blessed. He declares that they are blessed now. He said that the poor in spirit and the persecuted because of righteousness are blessed because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's present tense. As the rest, they are blessed now with the reality of the kingdom that will be made manifest in the age to come. But then Jesus turned back to us, his little band of followers. Blessed are you when people misunderstand you, envy you, accuse and despise you because of him. You can't say you look forward to that. But if they're for Jesus, then you'll gladly accept them. Rejoice and be glad, he said, because great is your reward in heaven. Well, if that's how they treated the prophets, the heroes of God in the past, then that is company you'd happily be a part of. Here's what I think Jesus is saying. Blessed is everyone in the crowd, even those on the edge. His kingdom is equally open to and accessible to everyone. All the down and outs, the have nots, the fallouts, the dropouts, the flunk outs. These people having a hard time on the extremes of human society are particularly blessed because God knows their pain and loves them. We see this in the previous chapter where Jesus taught the crowds and healed everyone who came to him. The crowd doesn't know it, but God's kingdom is at hand, brought near, inaugurated by its king, Jesus. And they've begun to see it, they've begun to taste it. In his kingdom there is blessing, there is life, there is healing, there is wholeness. And that kingdom is equally near to all in the crowd. Its nearness is a source of blessing. It's like that program, Secret Millionaire, where a millionaire disguises themselves and spends a week with an impoverished group of people. 
the millionaire isn't there by accident. They're there to get to know these people and to share some of their millions with them. And as a result, this particular group, in their poverty, are blessed. But if the millionaire told them that, they'd probably be a little bit confused. They'd say, we don't, we are, we don't look blessed, we aren't blessed. Can't you see we're poor? Life is hard. What are you talking about? But then comes the big reveal. The stranger is actually a millionaire in disguise. And they want to share some of their millions with this ragtag bunch. How cool would that be? The cameras rock up, they tell you they're filming a documentary about your life, your work, your school. And then at the end of the week, the stranger you've been getting to know tells you they'd like to give you a hundred grand. Can you imagine? Jesus is way more, way better than a secret millionaire though. For starters, he's not just a millionaire. He's the king, the king of the universe. Millions are nothing compared with what he has. Colossians 1 says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Everything was made through him. Every pound, every dollar, every yuan, every euro, it all belongs to him. Not only is Jesus more wealthy than an undercover millionaire, he's more committed. He hasn't airdropped into our neighborhood for a week. He hasn't just dressed up like us for a few days. He entered fully into our human experience to the point of death, death on the cross. Jesus took our flesh upon himself forever. And he hasn't taken it off now that he's in heaven at the right hand of our father. No, he represents us fully, bearing his renewed but still scarred flesh with pride. Having seen the crowd, Jesus teaches the disciples that everyone is blessed, even those who don't look it, even those who look the opposite of blessed. Blessed are those who struggle in this life for they know they need God. Blessed are those who feel like God is far away for they appreciate the promise of God's nearness. Jesus draws near to us, bringing God's kingdom in which there is blessing for everyone. There's blessing of reconciliation with a loving heavenly father. There's the blessing of forgiveness from all our mistakes, our failures, our broken promises, past, present and future. And there's the blessing of intimacy with God through his spirit who comes and lives within us. Like the secret millionaire, Jesus came near to the disciples and has come near to us, all of us today in his word, and revealed the extent of the availability of his kingdom and its blessing. So how do we live this? Well, let's think about how it applies to others and to ourselves. Applying to others. <clears throat> 
Do we see those around us as blessed? Who in our lives, in our day-to-day -day lives, who do we see as hopeless or unblessed? Who comes to mind? Who would be on our list, as Willard puts it, of hopeless blessables? The homeless, the unemployed, the crippled or maimed, the drug addicts, the pregnant too early, the never pregnant, the single, the divorced, the widowed. Could we, with confidence, share the good news of Jesus' kingdom with them and reassure them that despite appearances, they truly are blessed? But thinking of, of ourselves, are we still in that crowd? This morning we've heard Jesus' words. We've been presented with the opportunity to come to, to him and to realise the fullness of the blessing he holds out for us. Jesus is saying, if you feel excluded, come on in. If you follow Jesus up the mountainside, but a part of you enjoys making him exclusive. This morning is an opportunity to repent. Rather than enjoying things that cut others off from him, resolve to say blessed, 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 as you see those everyday people who seem downcast and despairing. As you walk past the homeless person on your way into the shops or as you hear of uh, someone close to you losing a loved one. Blessed. How might you share something of God's blessing with them? At that church during my internship, dressed in my sweaty cycling stuff, when everyone else was in their finery, I was ready to feel excluded, shunned and outcast. But instead I felt as welcomed as ever. And this was all the sweeter for expecting the exact opposite. Having felt on the edge, I felt especially welcomed. So it is for the marginalised, the poor, the oppressed, the struggling, when they discover Jesus' warm welcome into his kingdom and discover the blessing waiting for them there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you that he came and dwelt amongst us in order to share your blessing with us. Thank you that in his kingdom and through his death there is blessing available for all. Help us to be like those disciples, entrusted with Jesus' good news, able to share it with those in the crowd who so desperately need to hear it. If we are those in the crowd, on the edge, finding life hard and feeling like you're far from us, May Jesus' words to us this morning be life and joy and comfort. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.